0: Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name's John, I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live but we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good evening. Good to see you guys. My name's John. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are just so glad you're here. If you are new, we have just a couple quick things I want to tell you about. Um... Well, actually, I have one thing I want to tell you about. I want to make it simple for you. If you're new, there is a card in the seat in front of you that says, Welcome, and we would love for you to fill out that card because we want to give you a free gift. So the best way we could think of doing that free gift is for you to fill out that card, and then after service, go out to the lobby at the info table. There's a big table there that has a big sign that says Info, and you give that card to the person behind the table, and uh, they will give you a free gift. Just a way of saying, Hey, thanks for being here. We're just so glad that we get to meet you and that you chose to spend this hour with us. And uh, you guys enjoying the uh, end of daylight savings time? Pretty great, right? We get an extra hour, which means I get to talk for an extra hour tonight. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I have about, you know, 50 notes, so we'll be we'll be good to go. Hey, uh, if you're watching online, I hope you're enjoying the end of Daylight Savings Time, or maybe they started, I don't know when you're watching, but thank you for watching. We're so glad that you're here checking things out. Uh, we would love to meet you in person when you're ready for that, but until then, thanks for watching. So we are ending our series today called Accepted, and the the whole premise of this series, and if you're new, you're, you, uh, you're kind of coming in at the end of the movie, but I think you'll be able to pick up right where we right right where you are coming in. If you want to go back and watch the rest of the messages, uh, you can go to yourcrosscreek.com and just click watch. That's how you can watch uh, maybe what you've missed. But we, in this series, the whole premise of this series was answering, they're um, looking at this idea that people who are nothing like Jesus loved being around Jesus. Like they couldn't get enough of him. He was always just swamped with people being around him. People who are nothing like, people who had never stepped foot in a church these days would, loved being around Jesus. And so we went through a few people that loved being around Jesus. Uh, we, we looked at an unknown, unfulfilled, curious peasant named John who followed Jesus and was accepted by Jesus. We, uh, we looked at a skeptical scholar who couldn't kind of get out of his own thinking and his own boxes of how things are supposed to be and how he loved being around Jesus. We looked at a, a filthy rich tax collector who was a traitor to his own people that loved being around Jesus. And then last week, we looked at an ostracized woman who was thirsty for real life and how she loved being around Jesus. And the thing that all these people had in common and the people that you know, aren't even mentioned, they're just kind of part of the crowd that loved being around Jesus, you know why they loved being around Jesus? Because they were accepted Jesus. He accepted them. And when we say accepted, we're not saying, you know, okay with everything you choose to do and be, but more more this of, I see you as a person worthy of value and honor. That's how Jesus treated people. That's how Jesus saw people. That's how Jesus accepted people. He saw them as real people, not just a face in the crowd, right? Not just, you know, somebody below him, but a person worthy of value and honor. No matter how they might disagree with with um, what he taught or how he might disagree with what they chose to do, he accepted them, and they loved being around him. And what that means, to be accepted by Jesus, means that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you, no matter where you've been, Jesus accepts you. Jesus loves you. And you know that? That's nice, right? Like you love hearing that people love you, even if you're not sure there is a you know a God or that Jesus was the Son of God or whatever. You know that's still kind of kind of nice. That you know, well that's that's a that's a really sweet idea that Jesus loves me. You know, it's encouraging. But what about when we just completely fail? When we just totally totally mess up? Like you know how you swore before God and your family that you would be faithful in sickness and in health, and now you're signing divorce papers. When you, when you swore that you would do everything in your power to protect and nurture that child and raise them in an environment that was different than what you were raised in, and you've lost your cool again and yelled again and belittled them again. What about then? What about when, when we fail then? What about you know, when you were so proud that you, you worked hard and, and, you, and you got that job and you can support your family, you can start having a family, and then you dropped the ball on that project, or you didn't meet the deadline, Or you had to be let go again because for some reason, you just can't get, a, get along with your coworkers. Again. What about when you flunked out? When you flaked out on a friend, when they actually needed you? when you couldn't live up to your parents' expectations? When you swore you'd never do it again, and yet here you are in the exact same situation. Welcome to across, that's that's how we start things here. Isn't that fun? Oh, and you know, I know I've been picking on you, but I mean, you maybe you're like, no, don't don't talk about me. What about that other person that failed me, right? People have failed you. People have betrayed you. How could how could they be accepted? I mean, sure, Jesus forgives and accepts people. I mean, he kind of has to. He's God and all, right? Sure, he does that. But, you know, I feel, I feel like I can't, like, like he can't even look at me because of what I've done, because of this, this cloud of shame that I just feel it's just surrounds me, almost like you can smell it on my clothes, this shame. I've failed too many times. I've failed too big. How could he accept me? Or, you know, the way they failed me, I could, I could never accept them again. How could God accept them? When I mean, we had such high hopes, right? Such high expectations of ourselves and others. We never thought this would happen. And now, failure. We failed. They failed. I think that's the hardest, the hardest type of failure, right? One of, the hardest thi- one of the hardest things to accept is the failure we didn't expect. We thought things were going to be great. Right, we had the hopes, we had the dreams, we had the potential and then something happened, something we didn't plan for and we fail. We didn't expect it. The hardest things to accept is the failure we didn't expect. And you might be one of the lucky few. You know, you might, you might be in high school right now. You say, well, I've, you know, I've never failed right? and I'm not going to and the older people laugh <laughs> because you're going to fail. Right? We've all failed. You're like, well, you know, I've you know, I'm, I'm pretty, got a good head on my shoulders. That's nice, but you are going to fail. It's going to happen. And when it does happen, what then? When it does happen again, what then? Does Jesus accept failures? So to look at this idea of, of failure and what Jesus, what Jesus thinks about failures, I want to introduce you to one of the biggest failures Jesus ever had met. And as we look at this true account of this, this failure, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that there are no exceptions to Jesus, ex- Jesus's acceptance. There are no exceptions to Jesus's acceptance. Say that 10 times fast and you'll be good to go. There are no exceptions. And so this failure that we're going to look at, he had a couple of names. We first meet him. His name is Simon. Simon says, or maybe an old Saturday Night Live sketch, my name is Simon. A few of you? Okay, good. Simon was a fisherman. That was his, his occupation. In fact, Jesus, Jesus preaches one of his first recorded sermons in Simon's boat. All the, the people that loved being around Jesus were crowding him, and he wanted to preach to them and tell them how much God loves them and accepts them. And so Jesus had to get in a boat because he was being crowded, and the boat he got into was Simon's boat. Simon was one of the first people to follow Jesus. He becomes one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, when Jesus officially says, hey, Simon, you're one of my guys, he's like, hey, Simon, that name's cool and all, but let's change it. You know, Simon's neat, but it doesn't really roll off the tongue. How? Let's, let's try Peter, which meant rock. And so Simon's like, yeah, that sounds great. So we know him as the Apostle Peter, right? The Apostle Peter was basically the, the leader of the disciples, In every eyewitness account of Jesus' life, we call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. In every account, when they list the 12 disciples of Jesus, Peter is always first, because he was the lead disciple. He was the one that everyone turned to 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 answer Jesus' weird questions. He was the one who always spoke first, usually without thinking he was the one, like, when Jesus would teach his weird parables where nobody knows what they're talking about and still scholars kind of debate a little bit, Peter was the one that's like, Hey, Jesus. The disciples would say, Hey, Peter, go ask, ask Jesus, what were you talking about? And then Jesus is like, Oh, you don't understand. And then, you know, Peter gets. Anyway, that was Peter. He asked the question. In fact, Peter, not to be too hard on Peter, he was the first one to recognize Jesus' deity. Meaning that Jesus was actually divine. Jesus was God in a body. Jesus was was asking his disciples, "Who do people say I am?" And they said, "Well, you know, some say you're you're a good teacher. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're like this religious leader." And Jesus said, "Well, who do you say I am?" And Peter spoke up and said, "You're you're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the Son of God." Jesus like, "You're right, Peter." And on that truth, I'm going to build my entire church. On that truth, you just said, this whole, you're going to change the world. That's Peter. So during Jesus' last dinner with his disciples, before Jesus was crucified, he knew what was coming, being God and all. He told his disciples that he was about to be arrested, that he was about to be executed, and that they were all going to run away from him. He's kind of preparing his guys. You know, if, if you know that you're going to have at least for us, I don't know if you're as bad of a parent as I am, but like when when I know my kids are gonna have to do something they don't like, like when I know dinner is not gonna be their most exciting thing, I try to prep them for it, right? Say, okay, there's gonna be broccoli. You're gonna hate it, but it's gonna be okay. That's a horrible example of what Jesus was doing at this last dinner with his disciples saying, it's going to be hard, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to die, but don't worry, which they're like, what are you talking about? Don't worry, in three days, I'll, I'll meet you again in Galilee, which was their home, t- where a lot of them were from. Okay? And so he's saying, but during this, you're, gonna, you're all going to run away. Kind of preparing them, you're, you're not going to, you're going to run away, you're going to feel like cowards, it's going to be terrible. In fact, here, here's the conversation. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, and he's, he's quoting the, the Jewish scriptures that were kind of talking about this Messiah that was coming. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now stop, don't, don't go, go back. Which of this, these things do you think you would want to know more information about? You know, this very night you all fall away on account of me. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Like for me personally, the weird part on that one is last sentence. After I have risen. His disciples are like, well, that, whatever that is. Now go. Peter replied, even if all fall away, even if all these chumps fall away, on account of you, I never will. Like the other disciples can hear this. They're all like in a small room together. And Peter's like, hey, Jesus, yeah, they, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest about these guys. They probably will, but I'm, I'm the rock, right? I, I will never fall away. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And of course, all the other disciples said the same. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, sure, Jesus. If I have to die with you, I will. I don't know what this Peter guy is talking about, but I'm in. Right? I'm one of your guys. Even if everybody runs away, Jesus, I am going to stay. I am going to be strong. I am going to be with you. And I honestly believe Peter meant it. I mean, he's not like he's saying, like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to run. He he's means it, right? In fact, Peter, Peter was prepared for this arrest, that night, later that night, when, Jesus was, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, it was Peter who whips out this sword out of nowhere. Right? He's just walking around with a sword and tries to fight. And because he's not a soldier, he's just a fisherman, he kind of misses and cuts off a guy's ear. He did okay. I mean, don't judge him too. How, how good would you be with a sword? Never, you don't know. I hope <laughs> that would be awkward. Anyway... So he cuts, the guy's name was Malchus, which we know, they say he cut off the high priest servant's ear, right? Peter cuts off this guy's ear. His name, the, the scripture says, was Malchus. How do we know that? Because Malchus, probably the reason like these ancient writers would put people's names in their writings is because they would put their name in and be like, hey, go ask him. They just put in the name because they said, hey, you know Malchus, that guy who, you know, who lives two doors down from you? He's the one who got his ear cut off by Peter. And of course he couldn't prove it because it says Jesus fixed his ear. He's like, yeah, that hurt. <laughs> so glad Peter so glad Jesus fixed my ear. Peter and I still, you know, I, I kind of don't let him get close to my head, but So he cuts Malchus's ear off. So he's he means it. He's he's ready to fight. Jesus says, chill out. Right? This is supposed to happen. If I wanted to fight, I mean, Peter, you said I'm God. I think I could handle myself, right? So they take, the soldiers take Jesus, take him to a late-night trial, which was illegal for the Jews, but the leaders did it anyway. And Peter doesn't run away yet. Peter actually follows behind. He follows behind with John, who is Jesus' best friend, one of, one of the uh, inner circle with Jesus and Peter. They follow behind, and they go into the courtyard of the high priest where the trial is taking place, and they hang out there, and it's this open courtyard, so like they can see Jesus on trial, basically, and they're, they're, they're sitting there, and I mean, just think of that, right? You just, you just cut off a guy's ear, and your, your leader has been arrested by the people who have the power to ostracize you, to put you into prison, to ask Rome to execute you, and you follow behind him. And you you want to be with him. You, You watch him. That's what Peter does. Think of that courage of walking into that courtyard, right? He has all this courage. So far, so good. But then, then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this, this man was with him. The guy that they're, they're putting on trial, he was with, I've, I've seen him. You look familiar. But he denied it. Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, no, you, you all, you're, you're one of them. Man, I am not, replied Peter. It's one, two. About an hour later, how do we know it's an hour later? How did Luke get his information? He interviewed all these guys. They're like, yeah, yeah, I was there. John, maybe, maybe Peter. An hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean, and that most Jesus followers were from Galilee. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. The other eyewitness accounts say that Peter swore. He's like, I, oh, I shouldn't, I really don't know him. The Lord Jesus, this is one of the most painful verses in the Bible. The Lord Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter just denied Jesus for the third time, using words Jesus probably didn't approve of. Turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Could you imagine that? Just put yourself there. You're you're Peter. You're the rock. you still got some ear blood on your hands. And now you say, I don't know him. The servant girl. No, not me. I don't even know the guy. And then the rooster crows. You're like, oh my God. It's like one of the best movies ever. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and I think this is an understatement, and wept bitterly like sobbing, like snot running down, wanting to throw up sobbing. You've been there? Yes, that's Peter right now. Complete and utter failure. I mean, just you do that and Jesus looks at you. I mean, what was Jesus' look? I don't think, I really don't think it was this. (laughs) Told ya right? That, that doesn't seem like Jesus. I don't think it was. Three days, you're going to get it, right? I got this thing to do, but in three days, buddy? I don't know. I think it was more like a compassion, like a, don't worry. I know. I know. It's okay. I told you this was going to happen. I told you you were going to fail, So Jesus looks at him the pain of that though like it's almost like you would want Jesus to be like aha I gotcha right because then you could be mad about it but here you're just like oh what do you do right you failed that pain and then hours later Jesus is crucified he dies he's done there's no like way to make it up to Jesus he's dead Maybe you guys have experienced that with a parent that you wish you could have fixed things up with, but it was too late. Or, you know, they they passed away and then you realize, you know, it it wasn't, maybe you've experienced that where you just, what do you do? It's over. All hope is lost. Nobody nobody expected Jesus to rise from the dead, right? Nobody expected what the actual end of the story was. There was no chance to make things right for them. I mean, think about that. You, you, Jesus dies, and you, you know the last thing he heard you say was, I don't know him. I mean, you're laying in bed. You're not sleeping, obviously, and you're going over over and over in your head. If only I had, if I had just said yes, I know him. Maybe, maybe if I had gotten the guy in the heart, it would have been better. Right? Just going through it over and over in your head, the torture Which really, if you think about it, this story, for me at least, this story is one of the reasons why I truly, and one of the many reasons really, why I believe that this account is a true eyewitness account. Why I really don't think Christianity could have been made up by somebody a few years later. Why I don't think the the disciples were were trying to make up this new religion to get power. Because when you make up a story about yourself, you put yourself as one of the main characters, and you're trying to lead this thing, you don't show yourself in this light. Right? You never show yourself as a coward and a failure and be like, and now follow me, guys! Right? But every single eyewitness account of Jesus has this account of Jesus' failure, or Peter's failure. Jesus did all right. <laughs> a Peter's failure. In fact, the, the, gospel, the eyewitness account of Mark, many people believe Mark got his information from Peter, and it talks about this in detail Peter's failure. Peter is like maybe 30 years later saying, "Hey, when Jesus died, I denied him. I quit. I was I was done. I failed." But on the 3rd day after Jesus's execution, some of the women that followed Jesus went to his tomb to try to prepare his body the the proper way, right? the two guys had done it, Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus had prepared Jesus' body. And for some reason the women thought they needed to go and fix it. Sorry. That was a 50 50 on that one and I chose to go for it. I apologize. Anyway. So when when they got to the tomb, because they knew where the tomb was, Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus had told them, hey, that's where it was. They get there, and they're wondering, how are we going to roll this stone away? Because the religious leaders had put a big stone in front of the tomb so nobody could steal the body. They'd put soldiers there and said, guard this tomb, you know, Roman soldiers. And and when they get there, the stone's rolled away. The soldiers are are gone, and Jesus' body is missing. And they look in, and there's this guy sitting there in, in white robes, it says. And then because we translate we've translated the, the, the scriptures, this account from, from the Greek, we get this very um, dramatic scene of the women looking in and it says they were alarmed. <laughs> All right? So you gotta realize when you're when you're reading the New Testament accounts, it's translated from, from Greek. You gotta put some life into it. So they, the stone is gone, the soldiers are gone, Jesus is gone, and there's this dude in white robes just sitting there. And they were alarmed. They're like, holy cow. <laughs> it's a rough night for him. I need to change my source of entertainment. Anyway. <laughs> They're freaking out, right? There's this guy sitting there in white robes. Jesus' body is gone. They're like, what is going on? They were alarmed, and here's, here's what happens. He says, don't be alarmed. Thanks, that's helpful. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. By the way, I have time for this. When they, whenever somebody talks in, about Jesus in the New Testament accounts, not the narrator when he's writing the story, he just calls him Jesus, but whenever somebody is quoted as talking about Jesus they always give him the Nazarene or the Galilean. You know why? Because there were hundreds of Jesuses at the time. And so there's another reason why I think the the accounts are true, because if they were writing it 100 years later, everybody knows who Jesus is. They would just have the the guy in the white say, hey, Jesus isn't here. He wanted to make the distinction. Jesus, the Nazarene, the the Jesus from Nazareth, who, who was crucified, He's risen. He's not dead anymore. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Probably pats it. <laughs> I don't know. They, it wasn't a movie. Anyway. See the place where they laid him. But go, don't stay here. I know it's amazing, but go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Isn't that interesting? Peter was a disciple. Like he was the leader of the disciples. So it kind of seems redundant, doesn't it, at first? Basically, making the point hey, Peter, you like failed in front of everybody. Like that was massive. Everybody knows it. He's making a point to say, Peter, you are not forgotten. And even more so, you're still in. You are still accepted. You are still part of this, even though you failed. And now think about that. Peter, you're still in. You've you're accepted, you know, you're you're still in the club. Had Peter like been able to make amends with Jesus? Hadn't seen him yet. Had Peter been able to pay penance and light some candles? Probably not. That idea didn't really exist. Had he paid his penance in some way? Had he given all his money? No. What had he been doing? He's been hiding with the rest of the disciples, cowering, hoping what happened to their leader doesn't happen to them. But he's still accepted. He's still in. In fact, Jesus' acceptance isn't based on our performance. It's based on his never-ending love. Jesus' acceptance has nothing to do with how well we do. It's totally based on his never-ending, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love. And so later, as as promised, Jesus appears to his disciples. And he shows them the nail scars in his hands and his feet. He shows them where the spear stabbed him, proving that he was actually dead. He, like, challenges Thomas. He's like, hey, Thomas, you don't remember the whole doubting Thomas thing? If you've you've read the story, all the disciples were there when Jesus showed up, but Thomas wasn't. He's like, I don't believe it. Nobody can rise from the dead. That doesn't happen. Once you're dead, you're dead. So Jesus shows up again. He's like, hey, Thomas, see this? Put your hand in there. And Thomas like, no, we're good. I believe, right? So Jesus Jesus shows them the scars. He actually eats with them kind of proving that he's not just some spirit, right? He's actually eating food with them, proving that he's, he's been uh, resurrected just like he said he would. And, I mean, just think how Peter is because he's there for that. I mean, imagine, he's, he's obviously overjoyed, right? His, his master, his, his friend, the, the one who, you know, had turned him from fisherman Simon into Peter the rock wasn't dead. He was alive. Like, Imagine if, if you, if you watched your best friend die, and, and the doctors say, there's nothing we can do, and then they come back and be like, well, no, actually, we couldn't do anything, but he's alive. She's alive. Could you imagine that, that joy, that excitement? And so they're happy. They're, 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 Peter's like totally joyful and relieved. But, I mean, really, his days, he knows, his days of working with Jesus, his days of working for Jesus, being one of Jesus' guys, those, those are obviously over. Right? He's a complete failure. If you're going to lead a new movement, you can't like, deny the guy who started the movement and still think you're, you're in, still think that you, you have the position you had before. He's a complete failure. I mean, no one would ever give him responsibility in this new kingdom. They had this idea that Jesus was going to start an earthly kingdom and be like, ruling the world right then. And nobody's going to give Peter, the, the coward, any type of authority. And so he and six other disciples, including John, Go back to their boats. Go back to their fishing nets. Go back to their fishing career. I mean, that was cool. Jesus is alive. We're so happy. He's going to go be the king, and we helped, but we totally failed. So what are we going to do now? Well, we've got to feed our family. We're fishermen. Let's go fishing. And so they go out fishing, and they catch nothing. Like, all night they're fishing. Now this is what they were good at. This is how they made a living. They know the waters. They know how to fish, and they catch Nothing. And this isn't just like these like big old nets, right? Where you catch a whole bunch of fish. Catching nothing is weird. They're failures, even at what they used to be good at now. And then Jesus shows up. At first they don't recognize him. And he says, Hey guys, how's the fishing? And they're like, Not that good. He says, Oh well, you know what? Throw your nets over there. So like, fine, whatever. Throw the nets over there. And it's recorded that they catch 153 fish. But you're like, why 153? The only reason they put 153 fish in there, John actually wrote about the 153 fish, is because John counted the fish. Right? There's no like th- theological, spiritual reason. John's just like, dude, there was a whole bunch of fish. There was 153 fish. I counted them. So they throw the net in. They catch 153 fish. It almost swamps the entire boat. And they realize it's Jesus, because this is something he had done with them when they first met him. And they realize it's Jesus, and he invites them to have some fish breakfast on the beach. He's, he's lit a fire, it says a coal fire, like a really good fire, you know. Sitting around this fire, Jesus, Jesus shows the depth of his acceptance, and here's, here's what happens. John recorded it for us. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, it's interesting he doesn't call him Peter, do you love me more than these? Hey, Peter, or Simon, Remember that dinner we had? Remember the last time we ate? And you said, even if all of these fall away, I'm going to stay with you. So Jesus says, hey, Peter, remember, remember that boast? Do you, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. It doesn't say more than these. Isn't that interesting? Yes, Lord, he said, you, you, you know, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. I mean, wouldn't she? It's like he's rubbing it in. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. I mean, you've risen from the dead. You're obviously God. You know all things. You, and this is how I, I see it. You, you know that I love you, don't I? I mean, you asked me three times. You, you, right? I, I do, don't I? You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep isn't it? Check this out. Jesus asks, asks, asks. Try it on stage. It's harder than it looks. (laughs) Jesus asks Peter three times around a fire if he loves him. The last time Peter was around a fire and answered something three times, it was, do you know him? Peter said, heck no. Please don't hurt me, little girl. And now, around a fire again, Jesus asks him, do you love me? And now when Jesus asks a question like this, you've you got to put into perspective that Jesus is God. The, the writer truly believes Jesus is God and knows all things. Yet Jesus is asking a question like he doesn't know the answer. See, Jesus knew the answer. It's not like he needed to find out information. The question isn't for Jesus. The question's for Peter. And I don't, Peter didn't grasp this at first. Basically, Jesus is saying, Peter, I accept you. Like, that's why I'm here. Do you accept that you can still love me even after you've failed? I mean, Peter, you're still my guy. Do you accept that? Do you believe that your failure actually doesn't matter to me? You're still my guy. Take care of my sheep. Jesus wasn't a shepherd. He's talking about his his followers. Meaning, lead my church. Jesus Jesus said, Peter, when, when you let go of me, I was still holding on to you. It's not about what you did or didn't do. It's about what I did. I died on the cross. I was dead, and now I rose again. Yes, you failed, but I conquered for you. I conquered sin and I conquered death for you. And you will be the one to lead this new movement. And he says, don't believe me? Look, Peter, you're going to become one of the bravest, most courageous leaders of the church. Your courage for me will inspire and transform millions and millions of lives. In fact, here's what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you or the the way it kind of says it is tie you, tie your robe around you, dress you and lead you where you don't, do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And history tells us that in 64 A.D., to kind of cover up this big fire in Rome, the Emperor Nero decided to capture a bunch of Christians who were this weird religious sect, people thought, because they didn't worship the Roman gods. They worshiped this man from Israel who they said had risen from the dead, even though people don't actually do that. And so he blamed the Christians for this fire and executed hundreds of them. One of those was Peter, who had gone to Rome to tell the Roman people about Jesus and how he loved them and how he accepted them. In fact, uh, the, the histories written in the time that are pretty accurate, actually, say that Peter, when he, was, when he was crucified like Jesus, said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down, which is something the Romans did. It took a lot longer because crucifixion is all about not being able to breathe in this matter. So upside down takes longer. So Peter was crucified upside down. And you're like, wow, good for Peter. He sure got what he deserved. But here's what, see, Peter said, I will die for you. And then he chickened out, right? That was this courageous thing. He was going to be the dude. He's going to be the man. Then he failed. And so Jesus is reassuring Peter that his past failure will be nothing compared to who he will become through Jesus' transforming love. And then, after he assures him, you denied me, but your death, I mean, it's, you're not going to like it, you're, you're going to be led where you don't want to go, but it's going to glorify God. People will see your courage, will see your belief, that you, you're not dying for, you know, these big ideas, you're not dying for some r- rit- rituals or religion, you're dying saying, Jesus was dead, then he rose from the dead, and I saw it. You will say that with your dying breath. People who make stuff up don't die this way for something they made up. Your death will glorify God because people will see that you are telling the truth. And then Jesus gave Peter the exact same call he gave him at the very beginning. He said, follow me. The connotation there is be following me. Be continually following me. Don't worry about the past. Don't dwell on you and what you did or didn't do. Don't worry about what what may or may not happen in your future. It's not about you at all. Just keep following me as you lead my church. Does that even make sense? I mean, if if you have employees that work under you, or you you work with somebody, and uh, they not only promised to carry out a job, a very, very important task, job, but they failed so miserably it put the entire company at risk? Would you put them in charge of everything? If they arrogantly said at the staff meeting, hey, I'm better than you. You all suck at your job, but not me right? If anybody's going to carry this company, it's me. You all might quit, but I'm going to stay here for the long haul, and then they ruined everything. They just forgot, or they chickened out when it was time for, for the presentation, spectacularly ruined it in flames. They would be fired, right? Not with Jesus, Not with Jesus. He puts him in charge of the entire thing. And he makes sure that others hear it so there's no question that Peter is back in. See, Jesus' acceptance gives us the space and the ability to grow from our failures. Jesus' acceptance gives us the space and the ability to grow from our failures. Our failures don't have to be a shameful thing. They can be a growing thing to make us into who we were always meant to be. See, Jesus doesn't see Peter as a failure. He sees him as who he will be through Jesus, a leader who learned from his mistakes, who learned to trust the love of Jesus, the leader who led the early church to transform thousands of lives and gave his life in service to his friend and his God. It's amazing. And so I have some good news for you. I have some bad news for you. I don't know about you. I like the bad news first. The bad news is, you're a failure. You are a failure. If you're watching online, you're not safe. You're a failure too. <laughs> and so am I. We've all failed. We're all failures. We've ruined relationships. We've ruined opportunities, potential. Maybe we've even ruined families. And the good news? Well, this isn't the you, good. You're, you're going to fail again. You will, and it's worse than just messing up. You're like, oh no, I, you know, I meant? no. You have failed. It's not just job stuff or whatever. You have failed in your in your commitment to humanity. That's a big deal. Yeah, you have sinned. Don't leave yet. See, sin is this. Sin is breaking the law of love. We've all we've all done this. Jesus said, you know, the two top commands are love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. We've all broken that in some way. Right? When I say sin, I'm saying at some point in all of our lives, we said what I want is more important than this person next to me. What I want, I want to get at the expense of this person in some way. My wants are more important than you as a person. We've all done that. Now the good news, that Jesus knew that. Knew you would do that. Knew I would do that. Twice. Okay, once. Just kidding. Jesus Jesus knew that, and he died for us, for you, anyway. In fact, it's why he died. It's the whole point. So, I mean, think about it. So many people think that if there is a God to be accepted by him, you have to follow all the rules and live this perfect, religious, holy existence. Nothing could be further from the truth. He knew we couldn't ever measure up to perfection, that we would fail, that selfishness would constantly try to overtake us. And that's why he came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again and made a way for us to be forgiven, for our relationship with him to be restored and our relationship with each other to be restored. He took the consequences of our failures, the consequences of our sin on the cross and rose again to give us new life through him. He offers forgiveness. He offers true acceptance. We just have to choose to trust him. Choose to trust him. Think about this. None of your failures catch him off guard. None of your failures surprise him. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize you were going to do that. Jesus's acceptance eclipses our failures. That's how strong it is blots them out. Jesus' acceptance eclipses our failures. And all we have to do is accept it. Accept that you're accepted. The only thing, hear me on this, if you're watching online, turn up the volume. The only thing that keeps you separated from the love of Jesus is your failure to respond to his acceptance of you. The only thing that keeps you separated from the love of Jesus, from being fully accepted, fully known, becoming who you're always meant to be, is one failure. The failure to respond to his acceptance of you. Choosing to trust that he loves you and that he made a way to forgive you. Peter finally accepted it, and it transformed him. Before he was executed by Nero, Peter wrote this to church, to church leaders that he had helped start. Be shepherds. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Take care of my sheep. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. does that sound familiar? kind of sounds like what Jesus was telling him on the beach, doesn't it? Take care of my sheep. Follow me. Jesus' acceptance gave Peter the chance, gave Peter the ability to become the rock that Jesus knew he would become. Because Peter experienced this acceptance, he was able to encourage others with it as well. See, understanding how Jesus accepts you allows you to accept others with no exceptions. When you truly understand how Jesus accepts you and you know who you truly are, you're honest with yourself, and you realize Jesus accepts you and died for you, it changes you. It transforms you, is the word we like to use around here, and allows you to accept others with no exceptions. Think about it. What if if we could be honest about our fears? We could be honest about our failures, what if we could you know, not be ashamed of them, but use them to grow, use them to help others grow? Yeah, I, w- I was in the exact same situation. But here's what Jesus did for me. Here, I was right where you are. But here's what Jesus did for me. And what would that be like? No fear of rejection because you know you're already perfectly accepted? No more shame from failures because you know it's not about perfection? It's about Jesus' acceptance. Jesus' acceptance gives us the space to be honest, to be real, and to grow. And when you accept Jesus' love, you never have to question your acceptance again. When you accept Jesus' love, you never have to wonder, well, does he accept me? No. You know he does. Because his love is stronger than you. His love is stronger than your failures you are not your failures. You are invited to be a child of God, fully loved and fully accepted. You are invited to become exactly who Jesus knows you can become. Accept him. Follow him because he accepts you and he loves you. Failure doesn't have to be the end. It can be something, it can be the beginning of something you never expected. A a life greater than than you could have hoped for. Maybe difficult, but full of meaning, full of purpose. Choose to trust the one who died for you. And remember this. When we hear the crushing whisper of failure, you're a failure. You're going to do it again. Jesus shouts, accepted. Not a failure. Don't listen to the lies. You are accepted by the only one who matters. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the band up as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your love. Thank you for the acceptance that we don't deserve. Thank you for dying for us before we even knew you were for us. Give us the courage to listen to you. The courage to to not listen to the whispers of failure, but to, to acknowledge that your love is stronger. Your love eclipses our failures. Show us who you are. Show us that you are real. Show us that you love us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're going we're to sing a song, and if there's, if there's something you want to talk about or pray about, I'm going to have Patrick and Janet come over here. Uh, they're going to just sit over here, kind of make it a little easygoing, and they'll be here even after we kind of go out and stuff. they are like, hey, I want to talk about this accepted thing. I, you know, I, what, what is this Jesus? I want to know more about it, or I want to pray about this, or I've been feeling really beat up about this. Will you just pray with me and let me know that Jesus accepts me? That's what they're there for. Alright? So let's sing.
1: the sum of every height God.
0: accepted, and he proved it by dying and rising for you. I don't care what anybody tells you. God so loved the world that he sent his son for you. We just have to accept it. Hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for being here. If you want to, we're going to keep the lights low. If you want to hang out, just kind of hang out. (laughs) You can if you want to talk to Patrick and Janet. They're here. If you want to hang out and have a snack in the foyer, you're welcome for that too. But hope to see you guys next week and I hope you have a great week this week. See you later.